from the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I am Kyle Wenzel. And we're excited to have you guys back for another week. And just so excited. I always want to pause and thank you guys, everybody that's listening. We just want to say we appreciate you. We appreciate the feedback. Uh, I was just in a service a few days ago and just met some people who listened to the show. And it was just really, really awesome to meet some of the listeners. And so just so great to be here with you guys again. And before we go any further, if you can do me a favor, and if you're on an Apple device, why don't you scroll all the way down to the bottom and rate and review us. If you're on any other device, whether it be Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, TuneIn, Overcast, Podcast Addict, whatever you're listening to us on, go in there and subscribe, rate us, review us. That just helps us to come up to the top of the search when people are searching for podcasts like ours. And so, but we really appreciate you guys for doing that. And we are back again with our special guest. We have Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson's the founder and director of Defending Your Doorsteps Ministries. He holds a master's in theology from Moody Theological Seminary. He has just taught all over the country. He's taught seminary students and college students. He's been on radio shows across the country. He's also an author of two books. The first book is The Watchtower Illusion, and then the other book is Solving the Mormon Puzzle. And he's also, if you recognize his voice, he is also a fill-in and a guest on the number one Christian talk show in Michigan is the Bob Duco Show. So if you recognize his voice, yes, it is that Scott Peterson. And he's an expert when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And so last time we talked about Jehovah's Witnesses and kind of what they believe and how that differs between Christianity. But today we want to talk about Mormonism. And so Scott Peterson joins us again on the show. Scott, thanks for coming back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Great to be here, man. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, Mormonism has, I would say, it's probably been in the news more than, you know, other than the Catholic Church. I feel like, you know, Mormonism has just been in the news. Christian science, I think, is another one that we see a lot about. But there are reasons why. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been walking down the street or in a park or somewhere. You get a couple of guys on bikes. They'll come up to you. They're super, super nice and cordial. And they say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a part of the uh, the Latter-day Saints, Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And uh, I was telling Scott, before, uh, it was a few days ago, we were talking on the phone and, and just kind of prepping on what we we're going to talk about on the show. And one of the things that I was telling him is I was reading a book. 
I believe it was Elizabeth Smart's book. She was a young lady who was kidnapped and she was held for, gosh, a long time. And I remember reading that book and you could not tell me after reading that book that she was not an evangelical Christian. There was nothing she said in that book that made me think that she was a Mormon or thought anything different than what I believe as a Christian. And I remember as I was reading that book, I says, oh my goodness, like, you know, if, if a Christian does not really understand their faith truly, you really could get duped into being in a totally different religion and not understanding why. And so one of the things we want to do today is we want to talk about Mormonism, how it started, what they believe, how we respond to that. And so, Scott, I guess I guess we'll just start with the founder, Joseph Smith, is the founder of, of Mormonism. Can you tell us a little bit about him and kind of just a, a brief overall view of what of who Mormons are and what they believe? Sure. Let's ask a very big question. Uh, It's it's the book is titled Solving the Mormon Puzzle for a reason. It's a very big topic. Let's start with Joseph Smith. I'll tell you what, let's start with the history, what they would think the history of of Mormonism is. Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith lived in upstate New York in the 1800s. And by 1820, there was a revival in his in his town, in his area. And he was confused as to which there were a lot of different religious sects popping up, and he was confused as to which one he should join. And so he recalled a verse in James 1.5 where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so he decided to ask God which one of these churches he should join. Now, shortly thereafter, he was in a nearby wooded area near his home. And according to him, he was seized by an unknown power and saw this pillar of light. And the next thing he saw was two persons that he identified as God the Father and Jesus Christ. And God the Father points to Jesus and says, this is my son, listen to him. And Joseph asked him which which of these sects he should join. And he was told not to join any of them, for they're all corrupt and that God had a plan for him. A few years later, he went to, he was starting to, it was about three years later in 1823, I believe, he was starting to kind of wonder, okay, well, when am I going to, when's this plan going to start to take place? It was about that time he started to receive visions of an angel in his room named Moroni. And Moroni began to give him lessons for something that he was going to receive. And then in 1827, he was finally taken, he finally took Joseph Smith out to an area near a hillside and told him to dig. And according to him, he uncovered a box that had gold plates in it. And in that box were these ancient stones that you can find in the Bible called the Urim and Thummim. And it was through these that Joseph was going to be able to translate the images that were on these gold plates. And so that's, that's kind of what he did. He, he, he eventually, now there are a couple of different stories. So I'm going to give you the official version. The official version is that he took these Urim and Thummim and fashioned them into 
basically spectacles. And he got some people, he draped, he convinced some people to translate that he was to write down what he was translating. And he put a sheet down the middle of his room because these things were too holy for them to see. And then he would put these spectacles on and he would read what he described as reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay. Which there is no such thing, but that's what he said they were. And he would read these and the scribes would faithfully record what he read to them. And that is what became the Book of Mormon. Now, the Book of Mormon itself, it portends to be a history of Jewish people who at the time of the biblical exile escaped in boats by sailing ultimately to North America and populating the North American continent. Okay, and then it goes through a whole series of wars and ends ends up with one final man taking recording everything on gold plates and burying them in the hillside. Okay, so that's that's basically the entire story of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. Now, after Joseph Smith has these things translated, the church starts to form and we kind of go from there. There's a long history that in shortening it for the interest of people, I think is right. It's challenging. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what what do they believe about Jesus? You know, because they say, you know, this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I think that a lot of people, when they go by a church and they see the, you know, the name Jesus Christ, they go, well, wow, that's okay. That's a normal, regular church. Maybe I should stop in, right? So right. what do they actually believe about Jesus? Well, first of all, they believe God is actually an exalted man. He was once a man on another planet. He became God through this principle that they call eternal progression, whereby he obeyed what they say are gospel principles until he progressed into perfection and became God of this planet. They referred to him as Heavenly Father or Elohim. Mm. Okay, so that's, that's God the Father. Jesus is God's firstborn. Well, he's the first of God of Elohim's spirit children. Okay, he is God's only begotten, Elohim's only begotten in the sense that he's the only child that Elohim actually fathered into a physical body, which we'll talk about here in a second. And then Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, did works in the Old Testament as Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, and the Holy Spirit is a third God sharing the same purpose as Elohim and Jesus. Now, he's the only one that doesn't have an actual physical body, all right? He just remains a, a personage of spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, the story goes that there was a time past that Elohim, as he progressed to godhood, he's just one of many gods that exist. The story goes as far as the earth goes and how we're here is that God met with the council of gods and created our earth. And then they talked about how mankind was going to ultimately fall and how they were going to redeem mankind. Well, one of God's spirit children, Lucifer, who's a spirit brother to all of us, came up with a plan, proposed a plan by where, whereby he would forcibly 
have people redeemed. Mm -hmm. Jesus came up with another plan whereby he would redeem man and allow man to exercise free will. And so the Council of Gods basically accepted Jesus' plan, which infuriated Lucifer. And he was able to convince one third of our spirit brothers and sisters to rebel with him. Okay, now there was a tremendous battle that ensued, which ultimately resulted in Lucifer and his followers to be cast to earth with having an eternity without actually getting spiritual bodies. Mm -hmm. Of those that were on the good team, so to speak, right, the two thirds, there were two groups. There were those who fought valiantly with Jesus and those who remained neutral. Okay, so those were the two groups. Those who fought valiantly when they received their earthly bodies, they were given Caucasian skin. Those who remained neutral were given skin of color of some type. So that's how they account for the different races. When Elohim started the human race on earth, and it came after he started the human race on earth, and it came time for Jesus to be born, Elohim actually came down in Mormon theology and had sexual intercourse with the Virgin Mary. Okay, so that's quite different than what we believe, obviously. Right. Sure. After Jesus grew to manhood, they say he took at least three wives, which would be Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene, and begat children. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he ended up coming to the Americas to preach to the North American population, which you will recall were ancient Jews, right? Mm -hmm. And he preached to them and helped them interpret and understand the gospel. So it was those people who ultimately carved the plates or carved the plates of gold and buried them into the hillside. So that's kind of gives you an idea of a real distinct difference between the Godhead and how we're here and what we believe and what they believe. Wow. Now, is there something, because I, I do know that, do they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan? Yes. He's our spirit brother. He's our oldest spirit brother. We're all spirit brothers on this earth. And so he's our, our spirit brother, and he's also Lucifer's spirit brother. Mm, my goodness. Okay. And so when we meet someone, uh, you know, like this, you know, how do they, you know, and when we talk about salvation and different things like that, how do they, how are they saved? It, you know, is it, is it this progression theology where they, you know, they just keep doing great things or, or how does that look? Yeah. In, in Mormon salvation, they believe universal salvation by God's grace is resurrection to everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. But their view of eternity is quite different. Okay. In their view, there are really three different levels or kingdoms to eternity and to heaven. Okay. You have the celestial kingdom, which is where kind of the best of the best Mormons go. Okay. That's, that's where you want to be. And within that kingdom, there are three other kingdoms. There, there's the highest level in which you are attempting to progress to. And that's where you become a God yourself, and you have an eternal family, and you go off to another, create another planet and populate that planet with spirit children. That's, that's your ultimate goal. There's a middle level that they don't really talk about too much. And then there's a lower level where you have Mormons who 
have not had marriages sealed in the temple. That's where they kind of dwell and serve. Marriage is very important to Mormons, okay? As you can see, if you're not, if you don't have a Mormon marriage sealed in the temple, then you can't reach the highest level of the celestial or the top kingdom. Okay, so that's why they, they really stress marriage and they really stress family. They believe in a terrestrial kingdom, which is kind of where the less than valiant Mormons go. Mm. You know, the Mormons who, yeah, I go to church, you know, three times a year, that kind of a thing. They drink, they do whatever else that Mormons can't do, right? And it's also where non-Mormons who live moral lives tend to exist in eternity. So maybe the Pope, right? He may end up in the terrestrial kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then there's the telestial kingdom. That's where most people go. When we say most, we're talking about those people who lived carnal, sensual lives, who, you know, chose vain philosophies of man, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then, then there's people like me. They go to hell or outer darkness. Now, this is a temporary place of punishment. And that's where wicked spirits or those who oppose the church or those who disown the church, this is where they go to kind of pay for their sins. And then they get preached to by Mormon missionaries down there. And eventually they'll get to inherit their kingdom class. So that's kind of a look at the afterlife and, and their salvation. Wow. 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 And when you meet someone like this, because uh, I mean, it, it just seems so different than scripture, <laughs> like, you know, right. ev evangelical Christians, but how does one get, you know, because there are Christians who have turned Mormon. Yes. Same, you know, with Jehovah's Witnesses and, and all of that. What's the main draw there? Like what, how do you, you jump from evangelical Christianity to Mormonism? And because it, it seems so different. What's the draw? Great question. You know, the real answer when it comes right down to it is, is people are attracted to what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. I have never met a Mormon that didn't just think was awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they are yeah. so nice and so wonderful, and they're just kind people. And when, you, when they start talking to you about, you know, you go to their church service and that, and you start talking to them. And you start learning and, and the things that they're talking about, having eternal families, getting to spend eternity with your family. You start talking about, you see how they live their lives. You know, in, in public, they're all living very clean lives. They're all very supportive. The kids are wonderful. And they're all very committed. You know, there's a, a deep commitment to, the, to their church, mm -hmm. right? These are all things that you look at and you go, gosh, that's great. Frankly, there are some things I think they do that we should do as yeah. Christians. I love the idea of sending our kids out, you know, in, into the mission field, you know, when they graduate high school. Yeah. What a fabulous idea, mm -hmm. you know, and going door to door and trying to reach people. I know the apostles, you know, the apostles talk to large groups, right? And that's how we spend a lot of our time converting people through, you know, church services and things like that. But and we don't do a lot of door to door. but you start seeing this and you start seeing that and, and they're so nicely dressed and they're so proper and they're so polite. It's all very attractive. And when you talk to parents who, you know, especially new parents and they have their little kids and you talk about the idea that, that, yeah, one day 
you know, you're going to be an empty nester, but don't worry about it because you're going to spend eternity with your family. And, you know, you, that's very attractive. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people fall into that side of it. And the, the things that I just laid out for you, mm-hmm. the details, the Lucifer is our spirit brother, the, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is the idea of polygamy is really now for the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. A woman can be saved, but she's only saved through marriage. And she can be sealed in this life to a man for the next life who's currently married. And the idea is she'll be a spirit wife with him, helping ultimately to populate another planet, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you, they don't talk a lot about that. That's the meat, right? Mm-hmm. We're, they talk a lot about milk right up front. And they talk about a lot about service. And they're very patriotic. And they, you know, they'll stand for the anthem and they'll put their their hand over their heart, and they'll do all of that. It's, they're very pro-American, and it's very attractive to people. Mm. So where does polygamy come in? Like, I, I mean, I look at it, and I say, you know, if I was, I mean, if I've never been a woman, <laughs> so I don't know how to, how to right. you know, but if I was a woman, I wouldn't want to be, <laughs> Kyle's smiling at me. Uh, <laughs> If I was a woman, I wouldn't want to be one of 10. I wouldn't want to be one of two. I mean, you know, like I just, that's just, you know. So how does that happen? Like, what's the draw? Like, why would a woman want to be, you know, one of the many? Like, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I would say that, you know, in the early to mid 1800s, I think there was, it was a different social climate where if we're perfectly honest, women couldn't, you know, women struggled to survive without a man, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, that, that represented security. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of polygamy was not so foreign to a woman as much as it was representative of security. I think mm-hmm. nowadays it's, it's quite different, right? I mean, Mormons tried to bring, keep polygamy and have it be something here on earth into the late 1800s until the, until the United States government said, yeah, you're not going to do that. We're not going to give you statehood, right? It's, it's not happening. And so suddenly they had a revelation that, you know, it polygamy is for the afterlife. But I think the question, I think that, you know, your question is valid. I don't know who would want to share their spouse. Right. I, I really don't understand that. And I get it from a guy's side. I mean, we're all guys. And any guy that's listening to this goes, Okay, I can see the carnal side of this kicking in, yeah. right? And but I mean, if, if you were to ask me right now, I'd be just saying, "Shoot, I couldn't deal with all that. It's right, <laughs> just too much right. work." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I got I got hard enough time just maintaining the one and making sure she's all good. And well, yeah. you give me more than one, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think the greatest thing out of what we're talking about right now is that whether it was last week with the Jehovah's Witnesses or this week with the Mormons, it's true to the statement. I don't. I managed an entire fleet of Jehovah's Witnesses. I worked alongside volunteering at, at our, our own church's volunteer base with Mormons. And should not the, shouldn't the gospel be, like, if anything, we should take this as a dig and say, we need to be joyful. If we truly know and love the Lord, like we need to be, this should be attractive, not by just our words, but the way we live our lives. People should look at us and go, 
So that's what a follower of Christ looks like. Yeah. So that's what the word of God looks like on display. And we, I don't know if we've just gotten too comfortable or I don't know if we just don't follow the word of God fully, but there's a difference between happiness and joy. And we, I just feel like it's a dig at us if we can say, well, it's people, like if you really hear the conversation right now, and this is the truth, it's, it's people are transitioning from Christianity to Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. Why? Well, it's, it is attractive. Right. It is, a tra- and it's easier to get along with those type of people, even if you don't understand the teaching, because the atmosphere is inviting. And so oh, I just yeah. feel like that—that that is just that should be what people experience when the full gospel and the true gospel is represented in our lives. I, hearing that is almost like, man, there's an onus on the church. There is Kyle, an onus. You you just absolutely crushed it. I mean, I think that's that's exactly a big part of our failure as Christians. And, you know, whether I, I, I talked, I was bringing this to a very large church years ago. And just, it was a church that we were looking at, we had just started to attend. And, and the whole premise of our ministry is to be happy warriors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you don't have to get into a shouting match, yeah. right? You want to be happy. These Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, when they come over our house and I light up, you should see the look on their face. They don't know what to do with me, right? <laughs> right? Especially the Mormons, because Jehovah's Witnesses, between you and me and the lamppost, they tend to be a little bit crabbier. But <laughs> the Mormons are such wonderful kids. And so when you, you hit them with a smile on, their, on your face, say, gosh, come on in and sit down. And, you know, you want anything to drink, eat, that kind of thing. It's it, it's powerful to them, and I think we've lost that. I think that's a really great point. It's a really great point. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I agree, Kyle. It's it's you know because a lot of times we we walk around like sad sacks when we should be having the joy of the Lord, you know, just radiating from us because we truly we truly have the best. We have the truth, and that's I mean that's just what we've got to hold to. I mean, I tell our teenagers this: like we can be happy you know, because of happenstances and by chance, whatever's happening is making us happy. Mm-hmm. But joy is rooted in the Lord. And so the, the joy of the Lord is our strength for a reason, because we could have an absolutely horrible thing happen to us. But because of our knowledge in the Lord, we can be f- joyful. We can be filled with joy, even though we're not happy. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like, and, that, and that's the truth, but I feel like so many of us were just, we don't, have that full i'm just saying we don't have that full knowledge or that full commitment to the point to where when we aren't happy the day's over with we react in different ways we're triggered by certain people and it's just to me it's we should take offense to the fact that another religion finds more strength they find the joy and the strength in that religion more than we can in a living and active word you know what right. i'm saying yeah and it, as again, that's just, I think about it and I'm sitting here like, man, I, man, I'm sitting here thinking, well, how can I talk to Mormons and how can I, do, well, how can I live? You know, so like, how can I react and respond in life that would just say, you know what? I live for a God who is ever present and he knows what I'm going through and his word is living and active. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, it just dawned on me in, in the most simple way as we, you guys were talking and I'm just like, wow. And Kyle, I think, I think we lose that. And I think 
that that was the point I found to make is when I when I was trying to bring this class to the church, they sat me down with an associate pastor, and I said to him, he was talking. He says, I told him what it was all about, and he said, because well, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, I just ask them if they believe Jesus is the Son of God, and they say no, and I said, then we have nothing to talk about and close the door. And I, the first thing that came to mind was, okay, number one, they don't say no. They say yes. Okay. So that's number one. I'm not sure this story is true. Mm-hmm. Number two, the question I asked him was, and how's that worked for you? Like, give me, so what? So, so God delivered two of his lost children to your front doorstep. You're a pastor and you consider it successful that you close the door on them. Right. And that's a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got the living word of God in our hearts. And, and we're chasing half the people. I guarantee you half the people that are listening to this have stories about how they got rid of Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons off their doorstep. Mm-hmm. And that's the story they tell. We don't want that to be the case. We want to be, hey, come on in. Yeah. Man, I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Show them the joy of the Lord. I mean, that's you killed it, man. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Kyle. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think a lot of it, Scott, too, is just fear. You know, I mean, people, we just, uh, there's a lot of biblical illiteracy out there. And, yes. and I think people yeah. just, they feel intimidated because they know that the people that's coming to their door know their stuff. Right. And, you know, like, and, and it, it's crazy how it's supposed to be the other way around. The la- one of the last things Jesus said when he left is go. Go, 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 go. <laughs> That's what we should right. be doing. We're supposed to be going out into all the world, preaching the gospel, which means we have to know the gospel to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And But instead, we have a bunch of other people coming to the door who don't, is not preaching the gospel, and we're intimidated and hiding and yelling because we don't want to deal with it. And it's that's not what God wants for our lives. And so I think it's super important, just like we said in the last episode, that you know, we really get rooted and grounded in the word of God because those people are souls and we need to witness to them. You know, it, it doesn't mean we're gonna we're perfect, doesn't mean that we're gonna have all the, the deep theological understandings of everything. But the Bible does say say that one plants, one waters, and then God gives the increase, right? Right, so right. Even if it's a seed that you plant, right? You don't have to know it all, but just plant a seed. Know enough to plant a seed in their hearts, and then let the next person water that, and then let God give the increase on that, you know? Well, and, and let me finish the thought of what you just said there. You, you talked about getting rooted in the Word of God. A lot of people hear that, and for a lot of people, that has no value and no meaning. And what you're, what you're saying in this context is important for people to hear is that you need to know how to communicate your faith. You need to be able to go into the scriptures and say, this is where it's taught that Jesus is God. This is where it's taught that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works. Mm-hmm. Right. And these are the locations. It's not good enough to know the story of Noah or Jonah or anything like that. If it doesn't give you support for a theological principle that you can share with somebody, mm-hmm. and that's where we have to be. And that's, you know, I mean, you're kind of being the straight man to the, to the books, but that's, that's what we really want. I really wanted to accomplish in the books was this idea of, okay, look, I want to teach you to speak their language, 
And I want to teach you ways to, to witness to them effectively, right? And you, I think it was, Kevin, you said it, right? I mean, you know, you plant the seed, Apollos waters, God makes it grow, right? right? It, you can't go into these, you can't go into these situations thinking that in a half hour, you're going to have Mormons kneeling, accepting the true Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then throwing away their name tags. Right. Book of Mormon, right? Right. You have to go in there with a strategy to say, how am I going to plant the seed today? Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. And in, in a let's let's face it, Paul arguably was the greatest evangelist of all time. And if he didn't get people to fall to their knees every time, what do I think I'm going to do? Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? What right. am I going to possibly say? That's true. So so it's it's accepting your role. But that role, gosh, Kevin, you talked about this last time, and we talked about it last time as well. We talked last week about just getting, go, you know, if you do nothing else, go get you, go to a Christian bookstore, look online, find a book on, just, see, I, I know it sounds heavy, but it's not. Find a book on systematic theology. Yes. And, and order that book and read it, download it to, you know, to your whatever kindle or whatever you want to read on and and read it read it because what systematic theology does is it's a it's a 50 cent word for the idea of here's how christian theology is developed in the scriptures yeah so now you can understand how the scriptures teach salvation by grace through faith the identity of jesus the identity of god the identity of the holy spirit and all that get yourself something where you really because if you're waiting for your pastor to do it, you might be waiting a long time. Yeah, it's not to say that you have bad pastors. It's to say that the pastor is trying to feed a lot of sheep, right? And he doesn't know specifically what you need to eat, but he's going to give you something that God puts on his heart yes. that hopefully will provide nutrition for you, spiritual nutrition for where you're at. But yes. you need to root yourself in the Word by getting yourself educated on systematic theology. Yeah, yeah, so true. What would you say, Scott, is a couple things that if if I were talking to a Mormon, they may say that could trip me up or me not quite, you know, if I'm not ready for it, 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 it could it could throw me off or throw me for a loop. Is there a couple of common things that they may approach someone about when they're when they're out witnessing? You know, I, I think the biggest one is the verse that we talked about earlier that Joseph Smith is alleged to have remembered, and that's James 1.5, right? And it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And there's a verse in the Book of Mormon, Moroni, they want you, what, what they're going to ask you to do is they're going to ask you to, they're going to give you a copy of the Book of Mormon, they're going to ask you to read about it and pray about it. In Moroni, uh, the book of Moroni, 10, 4 through 5, it basically says the same thing that James 1 through 5 says. It urges you to pray about the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when they take you to James 1, 5, as you say, well, that's, that's what you do, right? Well, that's actually not what we do. <laughs> that's that, 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 what James 1, 5 is talking about is wisdom, not knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay, wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's not, it's not not studying for the math test 
and then praying that God gives you the knowledge necessary to pass the math test, right? It's, I'm going to study for the math test, and I'm going to pray that God gives me the wisdom to utilize what I've studied, the knowledge that I have in order to pass the math test. But it doesn't excuse you. It's not, it's not asking for personal revelation, which is what this is talking about. Let me put, say it this way. I was talking actually to a Mormon bishop, and he had since the, it was the first missionaries we, we ever had, and we started asking him questions that were challenging to him. And I knew where, there's a long story of how I knew where this guy lived. I had actually met him on his front lawn and started talking to him. Anyway, he, uh, he asked me to come by and I stopped by his house. Actually, I stopped by his house and we went out for lunch. And he was really pushing me to pray about the Book of Mormon. He said, why wouldn't you just go to your, your heavenly father and ask him if it's true? I said, well, because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. That's not what James 1.5 is about. We had this big dispute. I showed him in Acts 11 where the Bereans, they were a great example, where they were given the message by Paul. and they didn't pray about it. Apostles never said, pray about it and see if you get a burning in your bosom that this is true. The Bereans were called more noble than the others because they went back and checked the scriptures and compared what Paul was saying to the scriptures to determine whether Paul, what Paul was saying was true. When Jesus was tempted every single time he was challenged, he didn't say, let me pray about this. And he more than anybody could have prayed about any of that. Right. What he said Every single time that Satan tempted him, his first response was, it is written. It is written. It mm-hmm. is written. God gives us the scriptures. We're to go test them according to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And when I was leaving lunch that day with a Mormon bishop, I just could not get James, the difference between wisdom and knowledge, through to him. I was really frustrated. And as we were leaving, we walked out the door, shook his hand, great guy. And I said, hey, Brad, thanks for meeting me. You know, it was great. Thanks for lunch. and brought lunch. And I took a couple of steps and I turned back. I said, hey, I got an idea because they're all about building relationships. And I said, I got a great idea. Saturday, what are you doing Saturday? And he says, nothing. And I said, he said, what time? I said, during the day, morning. And he said, uh, nothing. I said, all right. I said, let's go. Let's you and I go. I can get us a, a, a small Cessna at this airport, not too far from where we live, about five miles. Let's you, I'll pick you up. Let's you and I go. I want to take you for a flight. I said, we'll fly over to your house, get to take pictures, all that stuff. Have your kids out there. We'll wave to them with, you know, tilting the plane back and forth. He goes, that sounds fabulous. He says, he says what time? So I'll pick you up at 10. He says, all right. Start walking. I turn back around. I said, Brad, excuse me. I'm sorry. One last thing. I don't have my pilot's license. I've never flown before. But I figured what we can do is we can get into the plane. You and I can go to God in prayer. And ask him, in accordance with James 1.5, to give me the knowledge <laughs> to fly that plane. And I said, I said, we good? And he kind of laughed and waved and turned and walked away. I said, Brad, wait. I come walking back toward him. And he kind of turns back and says, he says, what? I said, are you up for it? So I'm serious. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. He goes, well, no, of course not. And I said, so you won't trust your temporal life to your interpretation of that verse, mm. but you'll trust your eternal life to it. Mm. Mm. And he just kind of shrugged and walked away. Mm. But we need to understand, you know, we talked about getting into the scriptures, right? Yeah. We need to understand and be able to look into the scriptures and really understand what's being talked about. And if we do that, then we won't get tripped up. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, and, and I'm going to ask you where they get their scripture from. And this is what I hate. I just personally, I just have this thing where I don't like what other religion, like, and I, and I, please, anybody that's listening, you could be a Mormon, you could be Jehovah's Witness, I, you know, and, and uh, we're hoping the goal of this is for everyone, whether you are a Christian or a, or a non-Christian, or you are in one of these religions that we've talked about, that you understand through, you know, maybe getting Scott's books, reading the Bible for yourself, that you understand the truth. And because I don't want you to get offended when I say this, but, you know, a lot of times when I'm looking through, because I, I own a Quran, I own a, you know, Book of Mormon, I have, I have actually have the Book of Mormon right in front of me right now. And I'm reading, and I'm reading one of the chapters. And, you know, I, when I flip to Moroni chapter 10, it talks a lot about it, it. Literally, our church is going through this series of the gifts of the spirit right now. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be passed. But, you know, but it's talking about, you know, to for behold, to one is given by the spirit of God that he may teach the word of wisdom and to another. He may teach the word of knowledge by the same spirit and to another exceedingly great faith. And I'm reading this and I'm going, this is like almost exactly what my Bible says. Right. <laughs> So where did they get, like, (laughs) are they just taking bits and pieces of, of God uh, or from our scriptures or what? I I don't get it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion of where the information in there came from. There is a lot of plagiarism in the book of Mormon from the Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, from the King James version of the Bible. We see, you know, we see certain errors that, you know, translational errors made in the King James Version that appear in the Book of Mormon. And then, you know, those translational errors have since been corrected in the King James Version, right? But just different things and in, in bad word usage in, in the Book of Mormon. The reality is uh, there's a book called The View to the Hebrews that came out, I believe it was early 1800s. and that talks a lot. It looks like a lot of the story was developed from that. And, and then it's, you know, it, it's a lot of plagiarism and it's not, the Book of Mormon is not a good read. I mean, it, it's tedious. It's boring. It's really, there's, there's things in it where you're just like, why are we even reading this? You know, that just don't make sense. And so it's a little bit of a mystery as, as far as, where exactly it was derived from a lot of plagiarisms and just ideas, you know, kind of articulated in what sounds like scripture. Yeah. I mean, that's usually, that's usually what people say is, well, it does sound like the King James version of the Bible. Well, yeah, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of the King James version of the Bible. There's a couple that the gentleman has since passed away out in Utah, Gerald and Sandra Tanner, who run a ministry, uh, ministry, a ministry called Utah Lighthouse Ministries. It is an incredible resource. And they've gone through, they went, they were former Mormons. They were skeptics that, you know, they, they kind of came to realize that all of it was a fraud. She's actually a direct descendant, ironically, of Brigham Young, mm-hmm. the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, she's got, if you go to her store, she's got a big picture. Uh, Brigham Young on the wall. Wow. And uh, and so I, I forget where 
she's a great grandchild of Brigham Young or what it is, but they've done, they are a resource where they've highlighted all the plagiarisms in the Book of Mormon from the Bible. They have a book called, I think it's 4,009 or 3,913 errors in the Book of Mormon, where, mm-hmm. where they've, uh, or changes in the Book of Mormon, where they took the original, because it's been changed close to 4,000 times now, where they took the original Book of Mormon, they got a copy of the original Book of Mormon and compared it to the 19, I think it was 1980 or 90, 85 version. And they highlighted all the changes that have been made. And you have to understand this. This is really important is that if you want, we talked about the translate, how this translation came to be. Okay. Joseph Smith allegedly looked through these paraspecticles and saw words that he could read that God gave him by the power of the Holy Spirit because no one had ever, he didn't train, he didn't train in any languages. Right? He didn't have to wrestle with word choices. God gave him the words, word for word, for the Book of Mormon. Yet they've changed it almost 4,000 times, mm-hmm. or over 4,000 times now. Mm-hmm. You know, so you start to see, because that's some of the arguments. How could somebody come up with this on his own and not have errors? Well, there were errors throughout the Book of Mormon. There's contradictions in it. There's contradictions between the Book of Mormon and other Mormon scriptures. Right. And there's it's been changed 4,000 times. That's not that hard to do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. In our last couple minutes here, Scott, a, a son, a daughter comes home, says, Hey, mom, dad, you know, I, I know we've been in evangelical Christianity all our lives. You raised me this way, but I really feel like that the new way is Mormonism. How do you respond to that? How, how do you reach? that daughter or son? You know, I had an experience like this where a parent called me and the daughter was leaving for college. She was going to Christian college in two days. And she announced to her parents that she had been baptized in Mormon. And after this semester was going to transfer to Brigham Young out in Utah. And this woman was in tears mm-hmm. and asked me, what can I tell her? And I was like, I don't, I don't have a clue. And the very short version of the story was she invited me out. Uh, to speak with her. The daughter agreed to speak with me and her parents as long as she had Mormon missionaries there. And I drove, it was about an hour from my home and I drove out. I got in a car, Kevin, I had no idea what I was going to say. No idea. I had an out loud conversation with God where I said, God, this is you. I, I, you know, nothing that I've trained and nothing that I've studied is a quick fix to a Mormon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all about building relationships. And I said, you, you've got to step in because I'm going to look really stupid on your behalf. And God stepped in. And what God communicated to me was, I just want you to, to present yourself as someone who's going to maintain lines of communication between the family members. And that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Try to maintain lines of communication with your son and daughter, son or daughter, right? And or family member. Mm-hmm. And what God brought me to was, I just said, listen. You're not brainwashed. I don't believe you're brainwashed. Your parents might believe that. I said, but I want everybody here. You're not brainwashed. And you can see or feel relief. Mm. And I said, all that I'm going to encourage you to do is explain to your parents. And you can use this for a loved one. Explain to your parents the differences, why you believe the differences. Let me restate it. Why 
the differences you have, you believe something that you weren't taught by them and you've been taught by the church. Mm-hmm. Explain those differences and why you believe. That's all. And I said, because they they have questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to understand that, that they have questions and they're concerned. Gosh, darn it. You should want them to become Mormons. Mm-hmm. Right. So explain the differences. And what we came to find out was that some of the things that I mentioned to you earlier, right, about this spiritual battle, about she's going to be one of however many polygamous wives in the afterlife, that Lucifer was her spirit brother, all these weird things she hadn't been taught, right? And, and she got really upset to me, turned her back to me and wouldn't talk to me, okay? And, and that's kind of where the, the discussion ended. I talked to the parents the next day. They said, yeah, we dropped her off. It was uncomfortable, but whatever. And they said, she didn't like you at all, which was fine. I said, as long as you have a relationship with her, that's all that counts because God will work and God worked in this girl's life. Mm. Basically, God gave this girl a near-death experience and she ended up reevaluating. She finally went back and looked at everything I had said and looked it up on her own because she realized that life was temporary. Mm. And she real she she basically came home one day and said, walked through the door and said, I was just at the Mormon church. I've told them to take my name off the rolls. I'm no longer a Mormon. She goes, I'm coming back home, mom. And she goes, I'm a Christian again. And I want to reach these Mormons for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she recommitted herself to Christ. And again, we talked about, you know, it didn't happen in front of me. Right. Mm-hmm. I planted the seed. Yeah. Right. God watered it. God made it grow. Mm-hmm. He used this, a small seed that I planted mm-hmm. in some obscure passage to get her to think. And that's all you want to do. Mm-hmm. You want to maintain your relationship with your loved one and then just have them explain their beliefs to you. Mm-hmm. And then when that conversation comes, if you want things to learn to ask, our Solving the Mormon Puzzle book, about a third of it is what looks like a script. It's a line-by-line conversation that Christians have had with Mormons throughout the years that have helped Mormons see the true gospel of Jesus Christ and see the false gospel of Mormonism. Yeah. We have that in our book. Man, that's that's awesome. That's awesome, Scott. I, I'll tell you, Scott, I, I know, you know, I heard you on on the air years ago. And before I even knew I would have a podcast or anything like that. And I remember saying, Man, this guy, <laughs> you were just so, I'd never heard anybody who specifically was an expert on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. And, you know, I grew up and growing up, my dad, we were kind of, we were old fashioned in, in this way, in the sense, and it was a good thing where we did, go, we walked the streets and we passed out tracks. We knocked on doors. Like we, we had this, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was every, I think it was two Saturdays out of the month. We would do, and that's as a as a child. That's what I grew up doing. So oh, praise God, yeah. So, so for me, like when I see that, I I relate to them. I know what it's like to go door to door. I know what it's like to get the door shut in your face. You know, I I know what it's like for everybody you walk past. Go, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Yep, I'm a Christian. Yep, 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 yep. You know, it's a <laughs> you know it's 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 and it's but I, I look at that and I say you know. We got to get, we have to get back to that. And, you yes. know, I'm so grateful that you've spent so much time 
equipping people and helping people to get there. And I just encourage all of our listeners to go get both of his books. Uh, It's The Watchtower Illusion and Solving the Mormon Puzzle. You can order these through, so you need to go to his Facebook group. It's Defending Your Doorstep Ministries, Defending Your Doorstep Ministries Facebook group, and reach out to one of the moderators there, and they will make sure that you get a copy of this book. You'll be able to, and then Scott also has these 8 by 5 cards where he's, you know, if you buy a book, he's going to throw these in for free. And this is, it just basically says, where does it say that? And these are lines that just say, hey, what do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe, you know, all of these things. And Scott, you can say it better than I can, but he's going to throw that in for free. And so I really believe that you guys should go and get that. And so that you can be ready to defend your faith and to help someone else come into a saving knowledge of Christ. And so, and Scott, can you just tell them again, better than I can, about those 8 by 5 cards? Yeah, sure. No, uh, let's talk about the Mormon one. The Mormon one is, so the Jehovah's Witness one really is, is really heavy on supporting our essentials. Because you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you're in, you're in a battle for, in the Bible, for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking to Mormons, they're going to bring out their scriptures an awful lot. And so while the Mormon card does have some of the aspects, salvation by grace, not by works, because that's important, they're not going to argue with you that Jesus is not the Son of God, right? Mm-hmm. Or is not God, okay? That's, they're not going to argue that. And they're not going to argue against the personality of the Holy Spirit. So we don't cover that in the Mormon card. In the Mormon card, what we talk about is the fact that there is only one God. So we give you the verses that show that. We give you warnings against listening to every spirit, Mm. because that's what their whole test is, is you want to pray for a spiritual testimony. Mm -hmm. And so it gives you, the Bible warns us against doing that. Warnings against relying on what we feel in our hearts. That's what the Mormons say. I have a burning in the bosom that this is true. So it shows you where in the Bible it says, yeah, you can't trust your heart. And then, interestingly enough, it tells... uh, the rest of the card deals with the conflicts in Mormon scriptures. Because when you talk to a Mormon, the good news is that in their hand, they have three false prophecies in their own hand. They're carrying them around with them. And it's going to show you where, where you can look, have them look up three false prophecies that's, that are in the scriptures that Joseph Smith produced. So it's going to show you that. It's going to show you conflicts, the conflicts within Mormon scriptures. It's going to show you where to, you know, point those out to them. It's a great card. It's something very useful in witnessing to the Mormons. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's wonderful. Well, Scott, we appreciate you being on again this week. Just such a blessing. We really appreciate it. And Kyle, can you tell them where to Mm -hmm. uh, find us? Yeah, absolutely. Facebook and Instagram. Thinking Out Loud podcast on Facebook, as well as Thinking Out Loud podcast fans, Instagram, thinking underscore out loud. You'll see us with our blue and orange logo there, and you will see an advertisement of even these shows on our pages, so you know you're on the right spot. If you're having, at any time, issues getting content that you need or want, don't hesitate to comment on any of our pages. Message us, have a conversation with us about this. If you have other questions about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, things we didn't cover, 
Go ahead and comment on our page. We'll be happy to do the research for you. That's what we love to do. Know why we believe what we believe. So go ahead and feel free to join the conversation on those pages. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening to this, we also, we're having a Thinking Out Loud podcast one year anniversary party that is coming up on October 16th at 5 p.m. And so most of the invites, um, this is a private event. So most of the invites that have went out have went out to, you know, people already. But if you're a listener and you say, Kev, I'm in Michigan or I'm in the surrounding area and I'd love to come out and see you guys, meet you guys. Listen, we're going to reserve some space for you. And so if you want to be a part of this amazing night, why don't you just email us at thinking out loud podcast 20. So that's thinking out loud podcast two zero at gmail.com. And just write to us, say, hey, Kevin, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. We're going to have prizes that night. We're going to have dinner. We're also going to have a live, we're going to do a live podcast on stage. And so it'd be just, we would love for you guys to come out. We have limited space. So make sure that you reach out to us if you want to be a part of that. And we'd love to have you there. And so we love you guys. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.